Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to have a special pre-recorded show for the uh, holiday weekend. And as is our custom sometimes, we're talking about uh, hunger and some of the issues surrounding it, uh, which seems particularly appropriate uh, in this weekend when uh, you know a lot of people are out there who are stuffed from yesterday. And we're going to talk about uh, how many people <laughs> don't really have food, uh, mm-hmm. enough food to put on the table. So you can't call us today because we are pre-recorded. But we have uh, Mary Catherine and I have two guests in the studio with us. Julia Alonzo is uh, the executive director of the Hoosier Hills Food Bank and Vicki Pierce, executive director of the Community Kitchen of Monroe County. Is that correct? Absolutely. Of Monroe County, yes. And Mary Catherine is here. So we're going to talk about all all things, uh, all issues uh, revolving around hunger. Now, we were just having a a conversation uh, before. I know you just came through yesterday, Vicki. I'm sure the kitchen was very busy with people and very busy with volunteers. Can you sort of describe what happens on Thanksgiving Day at the kitchen? Absolutely. On Thanksgiving Day, we arrive at 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, which typically our office folks are in about that early, but we don't ever have any kitchen staff in at at 8 in the morning any other day except uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. So those folks are in. We start volunteers at 10 a.m., Um, And we have two-hour volunteer shifts all day long. As you might imagine, Thanksgiving is the most popular day of the year to volunteer. Christmas is the second most popular day of the year. So we try to accommodate as as many folks as possible by creating shorter time blocks um, all day long for people. We serve an hour longer on those days. So we serve from 3 to 6 p.m. instead of 4 to 6 so that we can accommodate anybody's holiday schedule, uh, make sure folks who are coming in to eat have additional time and space. Uh, For us, space is a real issue in our dining room now. And so serving an hour longer really enables us to be able to spread those folks out a little bit, give them a little bit of elbow room, hopefully. Was carryout available for folks who couldn't show up at the kitchen? Absolutely. Carryout is always available. Um, and on Thanksgiving, it is carryout food. And, uh, or it is Thanksgiving, carryout food. And the same thing at Christmas. Uh, we have whatever holiday meal we're doing, uh, whatever those foods are, that's also in carryout version. We also do um, carryouts that get delivered uh, for Area 10 folks. And so uh, be probably there was about 125 of those uh, on Thanksgiving, and there'll be probably about that many at Christmas that get delivered to those folks. Folks. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the mm-hmm. folks in our Nutrition Links program, a program for mm-hmm. HIV-positive residents in town, uh, we serve those folks on Thanksgiving and Christmas also. Uh, also, that holiday food gets delivered warm to their homes as well. Mm-hmm. Now, Julio, the, uh, the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, I'm sure, is very busy around this time of year. But why don't you, just for our, our listeners that don't understand the distinction, I mean, the community kitchen, I think people can really envision what that is because mm-hmm. people go in there and they eat and they're volunteers who serve them. The Hoosier Hills Food Bank is something quite different from that. Definitely. And, and uh, for us, actually, um, the lead up to Thanksgiving is our, our really hectic and busy time, the few days, the week or so before that. And then Thanksgiving Day, we actually get to take the day off because mm-hmm. most of our work is, is completed at that point. Because what we're trying to do is supply agencies like Vicky's who are providing meals to people or, or giving out groceries to people on Thanksgiving and beyond. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a, a, essentially a network of member agencies. We, we provide support to 97 member agencies in an eight-county region. And what we do is go out and collect, store, and distribute the food that those agencies are using, whether they be food pantries or soup kitchens or youth programs or senior programs, sort of a central clearinghouse, uh, at, you know, providing the infrastructure, refrigerated trucks, the warehouse, the food safety trained staff, uh, the volunteers, and the relationships with donors in the community to, to go out and collect that donated food and, and get it from other areas and then distribute it to those agencies. Now, let's kind of frame this discussion because I know both of you have been involved in social services in, in Monroe County for quite a long time uh, at various agencies. And I, I, I want to just sort of um, gauge how serious the situation is now. I mean, have you seen um, periods of time when the need was greater than now? I know we read a lot about it. Or has the, is, is it true that the need is 
probably at its peak in your careers. Vicki? I would say absolutely it's at its peak. Um, as well as that, I think what comes along beside that is that, um, especially in this community, we've got so we've become so efficient and so good at at uh, kind of start to finish the, the food that Julio's agency, the food bank, acquiring the food, getting it to agencies like ours and pantries, and getting it out to people. And our outreach has gotten so much better that. A lot of what we're seeing is need, and a lot of it is that we're doing our jobs better, um, better and better all the time. But in the 14 years I've been in this community and, and dealing with this population, it's it's higher now than I've ever seen it. Mm-hmm. Julia? I would definitely uh, agree with that. It's, it's it's definitely higher than I've ever seen it, and it, it seems to be just continuing to grow. Um, the last four years, the, the output of food that we've provided at the Hoosier Hills Food Bank has increased 92%. Four years ago, we were distributing about 1.6 million pounds of food a year. Last year, we distributed 3.1 million pounds of food. We're on track to do even a little bit more than that uh, That this year. We were 3% ahead of, of last year as of last month. And uh, the only reason that number is as low as it is is, is is a factor of supply, not demand. We, we could mm-hmm. still be distributing more food if we had that food to, mm-hmm. to distribute. I, I've never seen anything like it. And... Uh, you know, while I hope it's going to level off at some point here and perhaps start a downward trend, I just don't see that happening anytime in the immediate future. Vicki, you and I spent some time together last week, and um, you mentioned a trend um, that you're seeing in the kitchen that uh, really, when I heard it, it was of particular concern to me. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. What we've uh, started to see actually about that three or four year mark ago uh, was starting to see more and more children in the dining room. used to be unusual to see children in our dining room. Not that it never happened, but it didn't happen with any kind of frequency. Now it's unusual to not have kids in the dining room daily. Um, At one point last summer, I looked, there were nine children in our dining room at one time. If you've ever been in our dining room, it only seats about 50 people. Um, And, you know, nine children in there at one time. And it's on, and we should say, if you haven't been in there, it's the old school cafeteria style, absolutely, you know, bench tables. Yeah, yeah, banquet tables that seat eight at a table. You go through a line, cafeteria style. uh, Get the old melamine lunch trays that most of us who are at least thirty years or older all remember, um, and and eat from those. Get seconds, thirds, whatever. But this tight space um, and these families with children. Last week, I had to go ask a couple individuals to move so these family, this family with three adults and two children could actually eat together at the same table. Um, and so as a mother of two kids who are just turning five, it's very disturbing to me uh, when I see families who this is what they have to do. They just choose to do it. That's one thing. But as a parent, thinking about if the only way I could get my kids food and get them the proper nutrition is to come someplace like Community Kitchen, it's very sad to me. Um, and it, it seems so unnecessary um, in, a, in a country like ours that has so much and so much that goes wasted that we're having to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm grateful and I'm proud to be part of Community Kitchen where we create that space and where eventually we will have that family dining room for those families to be able to eat a little more separately. But it is quite depressing. And I know Julio shares that, um, that feeling about that. The, the kids really, really get to us. Um, Julie, I want you to have a, ch- a chance at this, too, but I think um, it's always a good time to remind people that your highest percentage... Absolutely. The highest percentage of people we serve now is children. Uh, we tipped that over 50% a couple of years ago, and in 2009, 61% of the people we served were children. It, I think it, it, it bears mentioning that another 17% were seniors. So unfortunately, if you drive by the kitchen at 5 in the evening, you might get what you presume is that stereotypical soup kitchen person, you know, some middle-aged-looking man standing outside in front of the building. But we have a lot of outreach programs, and because of our limited space, we really work to take food out to where people are, and we really work to target children. Um, children are, are really victims of the circumstance to, within which they're born. Uh, they don't get to make those choices about you know, what they're going to do with this, that, or the other. They're, they're victims of that, and we want to give them the best leg up we can to, to be able to make those decisions for themselves. So, and this year, our children's programs have grown by another 32%. That's intentional on our part. Um, partially. Part of that is that those those programs that we serve, after-school programs with kids who, uh, for kids who are at risk or, or low-income children, those programs are growing. 
Um, and so they're seeing additional needs. Um, and we've been intentional about expanding those programs, particularly into Ellettsville. We've been able mm-hmm. to get into Ellettsville this year in a couple of programs. And so like I say, some of that is, is very intentional and outreach. And, and a lot of it, though, is just continuing to see that additional need and seeing seeing the need have a very different face than it did five, six, ten years ago. Julio, I knew you wanted to comment on that. What did you? Sure. And uh, Vicki's absolutely right. I mean, the, the numbers have been increasing dramatically, but the numbers of children are, are especially uh, concerning. I mean, it, it's it's Unfortunate and unforgivable for anybody in this country to go hungry. I mean, this is arguably the richest country in the world. But uh, the USDA, United States Department of Agriculture, released its annual household food security in the United States report uh, last week for Mm -hmm. the year 2009. 17.2 million children, almost one in four children in this country, live in households that are food insecure. Uh, That's just unbelievable. Um, 42.3 million Americans participate in the SNAP program, the food stamp program. Over 40 million Americans, depending on food stamps, to, to put food on the, the table. And a lot of those households are households with, uh, with children. Uh, it, it's just unbelievable and, and staggering the, the, the levels that we've reached. And 42 million is a lot. What that really translates to is one in eight. So, you know, if you have eight people, if you had eight people at your Thanksgiving table, you look around that. And if you consider that as a population as a whole, at least one of those persons is reliant on food stamps to help them make their make ends meet each month. It's it is. It's staggering. This weekend, when uh, a lot of people are are recovering from eating a lot on Thanksgiving Day and maybe out doing some Christmas shopping, listening to us on uh, the day after Thanksgiving, we're talking with Julio Alonzo from the Hoosier Hills Food Bank and Vicki Pierce from the Community Kitchen of Monroe County. Uh, You can't call us today because we've pre-recorded this show, but we're spending uh, an hour, the better part of an hour, talking about issues of hunger in our community, and hopefully uh, it will make you think a little bit while you're out there about what you might be able to do. Julia, there was a lot of press given to a recent large uh, donation of bread. Was it from Aunt Millie's? Yes. Yeah, and that's great. But I'm curious, um, you know, how does something like that come about? And it really, uh, the the article I read about it seemed like it was kind of a one-shot deal. So Mm -hmm. as helpful as that is, I'm wondering, you know, okay, so where are you going to get bread next week? Right. Um, it, it was a one-shot deal, although it's something that Aunt Millie's has done at least the last year or two uh, in a row around this time. So we're, mm-hmm. we're very grateful uh, to them. We just actually, just before I left, we were debating what to do with the last uh, 150 or so loaves of, of that bread. Um, it lasted less than a week. Um, so that, that gives you an indication. And uh, we're, we're going to be distributing some of it in our mobile pantry tomorrow. But uh, the that type of donation can come in any number of ways. Um, I think that the Aunt Millie's connection was with our national partner, Feeding America. We're one of 205 network uh, members of the network in the uh, in the country. Feeding America is sort of an umbrella organization that uh, that brings us all together, and they work with large uh, large donors to um, to facilitate donations for food banks. I'm not entirely sure that that's where that one came from, but um, a lot of those um, you know they they initiated that. Uh, um, a lot of that that kind of generosity we have to initiate. We have mm-hmm. to, to do the ask, and, and fortunately, a lot of people come through for us. Mm-hmm. I want to bounce a couple things off of you uh, from a Washington Post story that I picked up uh, this morning. It says, Five Myths About Hunger in America. It's written by Robert Egger, who is the founder and president of D.C. Central Kitchen and Campus Kitchens Project. Um, there are a couple of things that he said. I'm just going to cite a couple of these myths. One is that hunger is about food. He said that's a myth. And he, the way he explains it, and then I want you to react to it, is that it's not really about food. There's plenty of food. It's about jobs and it's about wages, people not being able to afford food. Reaction? That's, I, there, there's definitely some validity to that. Um, and in fact, uh, hunger isn't the pr- politically correct word to, to use anymore. It's food insecurity. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I, I try to avoid using that term, actually, because I think it sort of dehumanizes the, the problem. But it probably is more accurate when you think about it. When, when the, the government measures, quote unquote, hunger, <clears throat> what they're really measuring is the access that people have to food on a regular basis. And that's what food insecurity means. It means those people who fall into that food insecure uh, category lacked adequate access at some point to to nutritional food, and that is very much a uh, a function of uh, of where our economy stands right now, and the fact that a lot of people uh, have either lost jobs or are not 
uh, not making as much money as they used to, and consequently they're making choices about priorities in their uh, in, in their life. And sometimes food's the priority, and sometimes rent or gas or, mm-hmm. or something else is the priority. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons I think we see people using the kitchen and mm-hmm. using food pantries. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, I've heard folks recently. I've been in conversations with folks who talk about oh, we just need to learn. We need to teach people to better manage their money, whatever that amount of money is. And and the challenge to that is is really wrapping your head around the concept that for some people, eating at Community Kitchen is managing their money because they can eat at the kitchen or they can go to United Ministries or Mother Hubbard's and get groceries, um, other pantries that the food bank serves, and that enables them to have enough money to pay their rent or to buy their medication or whatever. Um, and so... You know, while we are, as food agencies, I think, are often seen as the Band-Aid that we put on the problem, we would really rather prefer that people begin to see that sometimes we're part of the solution. Um, Sometimes we're actually helping people make those difficult decisions. It's not just do I eat or do I pay my utility bill? It's do I eat at the kitchen and pay my utility bill or do I go to the food pantry and pay my utility bill? And so while it's, you know, it it definitely is a function of there's not enough money in that household or to, to they're not making high enough wages to make ends meet. Sometimes we're a part of that solution for them when that's the case. Mm-hmm. All right. So that really is more of a hand up than anything else because I, it really pr- pr- makes it possible for them then to meet their other obligations. Absolutely. And I will say that that's for me, has really a, been a perspective shift in the time that I've been at the kitchen. Um, not that I ever looked down on the whole handout idea um, because it's food. I'm going to uh-huh. give it to you. You're going to eat it. Yeah. You're not going to sell it on the street corner. Um, so I never had a problem with that, but it really interacting with the patrons that we serve and seeing those people, seeing the seniors in particular who live on a very limited income, and this enables them to be able to make sure they're getting all their medications and keep current on the utility bills and buy the household things that they need that they can't buy with food stamps. Mm-hmm. So it's I've actually a very it. responsible act in many ways. Absolutely. Yeah. It oftentimes is. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a couple of, couple of years ago, two years ago, I participated in the food stamp challenge locally. And, mm-hmm. um, mm. you know, even though there's no way that, you know, my one week could ever equate to what somebody is really going through, um, it was an eye-opener to me to try to live on the $21 a week in, mm-hmm. that I had available for food. And the uh, I didn't come to the kitchen, but I went to, I went to Mother Hubbard's mm-hmm. and got some things, and I went to the Shalom Center for lunch one day mm-hmm. because those services are available, and it did help stretch that $21 Absolutely. that I had available to, to eat. And it was, you know, without those services, you know, without the community kitchen, without Mother Hubbard's, which gets uh, most of its food from uh, – So you had $21 there. for 21 meals. $21, yeah. $21 mm-hmm. for 21 meals. Was and what's what the, interesting is yeah, that, good luck with that. <laughs> that, you know, if you turned it around, um, it, what you often see is that people who use our services who really have to budget every nickel and dime – they would turn around and look at those people who are typically looking down on them for not managing their money and would look at all of this money you're wasting. You know, mm-hmm. you could be saving money here and doing this and doing that, um, but we don't turn the tables right. on those folks. Well, and the other thing that, that was really evident is, is you when know, we talk about hunger or you talk about food insecurity, food insecurity. it's <laughs> not about being hungry. It isn't about being – I mean, it's it partially about being hungry, but it's about being able to eat in a nutritious way. So it could be about health issues of all sorts. Mm-hmm. It's social. Absolutely. It's mental. You know, mm-hmm. where is my next meal going to come from? Where are my mm-hmm. kids' meals going to come mm-hmm. from? So there's so many things involved. You know, the populations that, that you do see and you work with, I mean, there's so many different, like, layers involved with somebody who – doesn't isn't secure about whether they're going to get their next meal. Absolutely. We have, as you might imagine, a variety of personalities and issues that we deal with in any given <laughs> evening at Community Kitchen. And one of the things we often say to one another and to ourselves when we're growing a little frustrated occasionally is, you know, I have no idea what the rest of their craziness day this person yeah. has been through today. They're carrying it all here, and this is the safe place for them for, to unload it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we really work at the kitchen to make it a safe environment. For some people, it is absolutely a social um, thing that they really need. For a lot of our seniors who are there regularly, it may be the one time of the day that they get out and talk to someone else face-to-face. Um, and consequently, the community part of Community Kitchen is very much evident when you're there. If one of the patrons 
doesn't show up for a day or two, we've got people saying, hey, do you know where so-and-so lives? We need to go check on them. We haven't seen them. Um, So there very much are those other aspects to it. It's not just about I'm hungry right now. It's about all these other things that help make us healthy people. I wanted to go back. Uh, there, there was another point I wanted to make about the uh, Washington Post story, the five myths about mm-hmm. hunger. We've talked a lot about children and about the, mm-hmm. the great need for children. Um, Robert Egger says that children are the only ones who go hungry. That is a myth. He actually points out that the person most likely to be hungry is a single working mother. I would mm-hmm. That she'll, yeah, she'll feed her oh, children yeah. and exactly. go hungry yeah. herself. So do, you guys, do you see that? Do you guys see that? Yeah, yeah I mean, I don't, I don't, we're feeding people, so I'm not sure I ever see that um, as much as I hear people talk about those kinds of things, especially people who now talk about, you know, when they were little and being hungry. I didn't really know we were hungry. I don't know how many times have we had that story. I didn't realize we were poor when I was a kid. When I look back on it now, I realize sometimes we ate dinner. And my parents didn't, you know, or whatever, um, and things that we don't realize when we're a kid. You know, it's time to eat. Somebody puts food on the table. That's what you eat. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and Bob, I know you've attended some of the uh, the annual breakfast that Mother Hubbard's Cupboard does, and uh, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but th- that was one of the most telling moments for me. Was was uh, a story that that a, a client of theirs related at, at that breakfast, how she had. Uh, you know, circled the block of that food pantry a couple of times uh, before that that third time, just finally looking over at her kids and saying, you know, mm-hmm. I, I've I've got to swallow my pride and go into this food pantry and get food so that my kids can eat. Um, now, you know, a mother like that is going to forego eating herself before mm-hmm. she lets her kids go hungry. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And we should say that, you know, you two represent you know wonderful agencies in this community, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of food serving or food security agencies, uh, for lack of a better term, in Monroe County, but also in some of the surrounding communities. I do believe, you know, as I think Vicki said or Julio said, one of you said that Bloomington has a very strong network mm-hmm. that's able to um, to really feed people. Um, Julio, your, your agency serves how many counties? Eight counties. Eight counties. So you don't see quite the same kinds of networks in those counties, I would assume. We don't. There are um, there are networks in some of those counties, um, and, and Owen and Brown and, and Lawrence, I'd say, have, have particularly strong networks. Um, we also serve uh, uh, Martin County, Orange County, and we deliver federal commodities to Crawford and Washington counties. Um, some of those counties are more spread out and, and don't have quite the the resources that we do here in, in Monroe County. We're somewhat of a model, I think, and, and envied a little bit statewide uh, because of the, the amount of services that we have here. Um, in Lawrence County in particular, there, there are a number of different agencies down there, Lawrence Interfaith Endeavor. Um, uh, Bedford Community Care Center that are that are providing services, but that was one county that we actually targeted for uh, our only direct service program. We started a mobile pantry there two years ago with a with an American Idol grant. Actually, where was this and, in Bedford? In Bedford, uh-huh. we, we go once once a month to Bedford, once a month to Mitchell, and. Um, that that uh, program has just grown exponentially, uh, and and it's clear that even with some of the other uh, uh, things that are available to people down there, our additional program was was really needed. Um, our crew went down to uh, Mitchell on Thursday, and uh, they were swamped. Uh, you know, we, we planned normally we planned to feed about 100 to 120 families. This time we thought it might be higher because it was Thanksgiving, close to Thanksgiving. Uh, so we planned on 150. There were more like 170 families that that uh, that came, and uh, my staff was relating to me. You know, you can tell just from looking at these folks that that they really need this service. People are there in wheelchairs, on crutches, um, a lot of disabled people and senior people. So. Uh, yeah. That, that's another point that uh, Egger makes in this. And, and, you know, again, we're hitting a lot of his same points. <laughs> you talked about, I think, uh, Vicki, you said 17 percent of the people you serve are seniors. Mm-hmm. And it says in here, another tragedy in America is a rapidly growing number of seniors who have to choose between food, medicine, and utilities. So you're seeing that. Julia, are you seeing kind of the same thing when you talk to different agency directors that you work with? Uh, absolutely. And, and that was a, a telling statistic, I think, in the uh, – the 2010 hunger study that Feeding America did, uh, it, uh, we surveyed clients throughout our, our, our region, and uh, 52% of them were making choices between medicine or medical care. 
and uh, and food, and that number was up exponentially from from four years ago. I think it was it was in the thirty percent range then. So it, it that's dramatically increased, and I think a lot of the people making that type of choices uh, are seniors. Um, the the cost of you know I've I've, uh, I've noticed just from uh, from dealing with some of my own family members who are, <laughs> are living on limited incomes. Um, the, in addition to, to Medicare, you have to buy the supplemental Medicare insurance. That's I mean, right. by the time mm-hmm. you you pay all your insurance premiums uh, and, and your coinsurance and everything, there's no money left for a lot of these seniors. Uh, so it, it it really is a significant problem for for that population. Well, I just you know we've been talking about a lot about children in hunger. When I think of children, I know they children need milk. Absolutely. So and that and, and that's an expensive thing um, to buy milk. Well, Julia, where does the milk that the food pantry has? Where does that come from? Well, uh, unfortunately, it's not something that we can stock on a regular basis. We're, we're, we were very fortunate the last couple of years to get a grant um, of about ten thousand dollars to to purchase milk and uh, and that lasted us about six weeks and we were able to, to to supply fresh you know currently dated milk on a on a regular basis beyond that it's not something that we we receive in uh, uh, in quantity uh, it's really? something that we're we're getting from a lot of stores but when we get it it you know it's got a day or two left on before it expires and, right. and you know it's usually good a few days after that so right. we try to turn it over pretty quickly but it's not the kind of thing that we can stock on on a regular basis i can can provide vicky with a lot of the things that she needs but i can't provide her with the little containers of milk that she needs for uh, for the children's programs that she does that's something that she has to go out and and, and mm-hmm. get on her own somewhere and, and raise the support to find all right, wow. you're, you're listening today to a uh, pre-recorded version of Noon Edition. Uh, we're talking with Julio Alonzo, Executive Director of the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, and Vicki Pierce, the Executive Director of the Community Kitchen of Monroe County. We're going to take a short break now. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcast directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. Programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, The Ether Game, Musical Mini Quiz, as well as Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Find out more at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Fridays, the WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 11.33 a.m., 11.55 a.m., and 5.45 p.m. to catch that day's feature. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael and our guest today, Julia Alonzo from the Hoosier Hills Food Bank and Vicki Pierce from the Community Kitchen of Monroe County. This is a special Noon Edition, uh, especially for the holiday weekend. Uh, our topic today is food insecurity and uh, <laughs> hunger, another word for it. Um, and we're talking uh, about you know different issues that involve hunger. Julia, before we get too far away from it, you mentioned uh, an American Idol grant that you got. And I think that that was kind of surprising to me. And could you explain how that came about? Sure. And what it is? Well, uh, again, it's one of the benefits that we have from being part of a national organization like Feeding America. Uh, Feeding America is the the country's largest uh, hunger relief agency. And what they do is support a network of 205 food banks across the country. They go out and establish the national relationships that we really can't as a as a smaller uh, local organization. One of those was with the uh, the firm that produces Amer- the, the program American Idol. Uh, can't remember now whether this was two years ago or three years ago. I think it was three years ago. But there was a partnership called Idol Gives Back. Uh, they did. Uh, they emphasized uh, hunger relief on on the program. Some of the the hosts and and the stars went out and and did some hunger relief work, and they featured that, and and then uh, raised money to uh, to give out grants to to Feeding America. Um, our the grant that we received, we used to establish a mobile pantry in in Lawrence County. Um, the funding, of course, was only for that year, and then we've had to continue it on on our own after that. 
Uh, but it, it, it really got that program started for us. And they have just recently done that again this year. There was another idle partnership where they raised money for Feeding America and for some other causes as well. They haven't yet um, informed us on the, the grant process and, and what that'll be, but I know there'll be some additional support coming. Well, so it's nice to hear you know, mm-hmm. the, how, where that money comes from because I remember you know, reading about that you know, idle gives back thing and you mm-hmm. kind of think, well, they're going to raise <clears throat> zillions of dollars, but who knows where it's going to go and some of it went What away. do you know? Right. came into the That's right. food pantry in southern Indiana. Mm-hmm. Good deal. All right. Well, you know, Vicki, as I mentioned earlier, you and I spoke recently, and yes. we had a good reason to speak. Absolutely. You've got a really exciting project on the horizon. Tell us about it. Absolutely. We um, have way outgrown our space at Community Kitchen. Uh, in 2009, we served over 185,000 meals in a little less than 1,300 square feet, um, and that is almost impossible. Um, and the way that we've been able to manage so far the last several years is that, that our main increases, our main outreach efforts have been in food that goes out of our doors. And so last summer, uh, summer of 2009, actually, we um, underwent a feasibility study to kind of determine how much space we really need. Um, you know, when you've kind of, as I refer to it, MacGyvered things back back together <laughs> over and yeah. over and made this work and say, we're out of space. No, let's create another three foot square over here. And now we've got space to do this. Mm-hmm. For so many years, it's impossible for it was impossible for us to imagine how much space we needed. We did that. Results came back, and we started looking for a location that might uh, fit that bill bill for us. Um, Our study determined that we needed 5,400 square feet, uh, a little more than four times what we have now, um, to be able to do what we're doing, get our food on site, um, because all of our food has been stored off site for, I'm guessing, at least 10 years. It predates Mm -hmm. me. It may predate Julio. I don't know. Um, And so trucking food back and forth is obviously incredibly inefficient. It's not cost effective. Um, It doesn't make for, you know, great creation on the spot for meals and those kinds of things. So be able to get our food on site and have room to grow into the future. Uh, What what I was very insistent is that we didn't just go into another property that gave us enough space for now. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't intend to do another capital campaign in my lifetime if I can (laughs) help it. Um, So we purchased a building. The old Zucchini Prince building at 1515 South Rogers, exactly 5,400 square feet. Uh, It's about 4,600 square feet of warehouse attached to about 800 square feet of office, perfectly proportioned for what we needed operationally to administration-wise. The the site is about three-quarters of an acre. There's going to be great space for parking, which we don't have now. We borrow the generosity of McDowell Baptist Church and park in their lot. you know, enable us to really do some things that we haven't been able to do in the future and, or in the past and do what we're doing now more effective. Um, so we bought that property, and now we've been working to raise the money to renovate it. Uh, we, are, we are well on our way. We're at about between 40 and 50 percent, depending on what those numbers are really going to come back like uh, when we get the bids back in January. Uh, the project will go out for bid in mid-December and bids due Mm -hmm. back in in early to mid-January. So we're really hoping that work will get started in February, maybe March, um, and that we will be in that space. I would love to have Thanksgiving there next year. I'll cross my fingers and not hold my breath. Um, But in the meantime, we have a lot of money to raise. Uh, The renovations for this space are going to cost right around $900,000. and that's very feasible. It's a you know it's a it's a great building. The building it sound, it itself is very sound. Um, like I said, the footprint is exactly what we need it to be. But it's a big empty warehouse, and so we've got to insulate it and put in walls and fixtures and floors and ceilings and all of those things. Um, so the exciting thing for us is not only we're going to be in a new space, but we're going to have additional space. So right now, um, you know, our kitchen staff and the volunteers who are in the kitchen are literally on top of each other. There's a nice little dance that happens during dinner time. If somebody needs to get something out of the cooler and someone else needs to get something out of the warmer, they can't do it at the same time. So they have to do a little do do around the, the kitchen to be able to make that work. Um, you know, we've got all of our food donations come in the front door. They go all the way through the dining room, through the kitchen, back to the pantries. And then the food gets pulled back out into the dining room, which is our prep space, because we don't have prep space in the kitchen. And then goes back into the kitchen to be prepared and come back out to be served. And in the new space, we'll have a, a warehouse portion in the back space of our building. Um, next to that will be a large pantry. So food can come in the back door in the warehouse. It can then move into the pantry, which opens into the kitchen. Then to the serving line, to the dining room, which will be out front and out the door. As I mentioned, we are, we are very tight in that dining room right now. And our current dining room seats about 50 people. We see anywhere from 95 to 180 on any given day. 
obviously the 180s are closer to the end of the month normally. Um, but those that means people have to kind of eat in shifts. They mm-hmm. have to come in different in different sets. Um, and as I mentioned, families with young children fighting for space so that they can eat next to their kids at, at a table. In the new facility, we'll have dining room space in the main dining room for at least 80. And then we'll have an additional family dining room. Um, you know, I definitely, and I, Mary Catherine, you and I have talked about this. I know you share this heart for being able to preserve some semblance of a family meal for people who can't do it at home. Um, so that instead of at eight-foot banquet tables, they'll be able to sit at round tables across, mother and child or daughter and father or whatever, across the table from one another, have that conversation mm-hmm. about life and how was your day and whatever that might be. Mm. Um, more child-friendly uh, furniture space that they can kind of be in separate from everyone else, um, you know, and feel safe and secure as a family unit. Absolutely, and yeah. be able to hear one another talk. I mean, right. one of the things that is is the case in our dining room night now is that there are three coolers and a freezer running in there because they don't fit in the kitchen, mm-hmm. um, and so all of that equipment is running, and fifty people are in there, and so if I'm going to have a conversation with my child, I'm going to have to yell right. um, because otherwise he or she's not going to be hearing me. So, well, if you're already in food and security in in that situation in your life, you know, think about how important it is that you actually have that that 45 minutes even of calm time where you can be with your family and sit across the table from each other while eating a meal. And I mean, studies show over and over again how important it is for a family to sit down together to an evening meal. Absolutely. So I I am a big champion of, of that family dining room concept for the kitchen. I think that that has the potential to be really life-changing for many, many people. Absolutely. And so, you know, what we're doing now is just asking the community to help us, help support us uh, so that we can do these renovations. We're open. You know, the kitchen is is really grassroots to the core. Our food comes in either through the food bank or from donors and volunteers and individuals off the street. Our financial uh, support comes that way also. Five, ten, fifteen, a hundred, five hundred dollar donations. We don't have those ten thousand, twenty-five thousand, thirty thousand, a hundred thousand dollar donors, which means we're able to grow incrementally and be careful. And those folks are diligent, long-term, faithful supporters of ours. But let me tell you, building a building, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty-five dollars mm-hmm. at a time, is kind of long and involved. So, um, but we're happy to have any support. Um, you know, we're we're trying to we're taking multi-year pledges. We're doing uh, monthly withdrawals from bank accounts. We're doing whatever works for people. We are happy and and grateful um, for the community support, and we really trust. We've had excellent um, support so far from people both in the city and county government, the townships, um, you know, other local individuals in this project. And we really we really uh, would solicit additional support for that so that we can make it a reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The monthly withdrawal, I think, is such a handy option. I take advantage of that myself. And I get a, a little email every month that tells me that that's transpired. Mm-hmm. And I'm really always, it makes me happy every time that email arrives because I know that somebody's going to get to eat something that Absolutely. they wouldn't have had otherwise. And so it's a, it's a really, especially something to think about, you know, now during the holidays, mm-hmm. um, super easy thing to get started. I think the whole process took about five minutes. So. Yeah, it's, it's uh, filling out one side of a form, attaching a voided check or whatever, and we're off and running. And at any time someone needs to change it, stop it, whatever, that can happen just as quickly. We understand things happen, life happens, and, and people's situations change. But we really appreciate that. We actually uh-huh. uh, we get a, a probably it's it's close to getting close to a thousand dollars a month of people who uh-huh. just support us that way. You know, yeah. they fill out a form one time and they don't think about it ever again. You know, they get that email once money, a month. Really. Yeah. Absolutely. Another nice thing I think to consider during the holidays is um, our family and I know a lot of other families are going this route. If you have everything you need, if you're blessed in your life and, and your your needs and really wants are mm-hmm. met, and many of us are, are in that position, um, we exchange um, gifts uh, that go to uh, various not-for-profits. And every person gets to choose who their not-for-profit recipient is going to be, and then gifts are made um, in honor of that person um, or the person that they designate. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we're pretty flexible about it, and it's a, an interesting reflection of what's going on in each of our lives. Lives uh, over the past year, so, you know, we mix it up. Uh, who who uh, receives the money? So, um, I think that's another nice option for people to think about. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and since you're mentioning an option, you know, one of the <laughs> one, one thing that uh, I've I've written about this a couple times is I think that people can donate year round. Um, food, if in any setting, you know, we right. I, I meet with a bunch of people on Saturday mornings 
um, we just meet. We like each other. We have conversation. We have coffee. We have bagels. And and about two years ago, we all started bringing a can of food every mm-hmm. Saturday morning. And they, I think they all go to the to the food bank um, mm-hmm. in just small a small bag, mm-hmm. but a bag every week. So mm-hmm. for and I think anybody the that cumulative has a, effect yeah, is yeah, a nice thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So anybody that has a little group of people can do anything like that. Um, I wanted to, to mention, you know, today, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, the HT publishes our annual wish list. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to ask each of you, you know, besides, of course, just donors who are going to give you um, money, cash money, um, what kinds of needs do you have? I'm always surprised when I look at that list of the kinds of things that, you know, people have lying around their house that any agency could use. Julia, what kinds of things do you need? Well, uh, the I think when I filled out that list this year, I went very simple and, and focused on food because we that's you know that's always our main. You got your truck. Our main need. We got right. <laughs> a, a few months ago, a truck would have been at the top of my list. It might have even been on last year's wish list. I'm not sure, but we we got that, so we're we're okay. For Congratulations! That. <laughs> that's a big deal. I know Absolutely. it's a big it's deal. It's a huge deal. I can't tell you how huge it is and, and what a relief it is to have a a, a reliable vehicle at this point. Um, but um, I, I think there's some things that uh, that probably just about any agency could use that that um, uh, things like stamps and copy paper and office supplies that we have to spend money on if they're not donated to us and if if we can get those t- mm-hmm. types of items then it saves a little bit of money in the in the budget so little things like that if you're at the office supply su- store or if you're at the post office and you can pick up a few extra things for uh, for any agency then um, then I would encourage you to do that we need some uh, sort of unique things for our garden program actually uh, we need you know uh, organic material for compost and straw and, and and that sort of thing. Uh, we need a big wood chipper, if, if at all possible. Um, these are the kind of things I'd, we'd prefer people coordinate with us rather mm-hmm. than just show up with a, a dump truck load of, of compost or something like that. But, uh, but the materials that yeah. we can yeah. use are right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and, and I'm going to go to Vicki, but you know, I, I, I always like to remind myself when I start talking with people who are involved with agencies that agencies really are people. Yeah. I mean, they, mm-hmm. you know, everything that you want, you know, you don't want stamps so you can send out Christmas cards. Right. You want stamps, uh, you know, you want people to give you stamps so that you can do the business of the Hoosier Hills Food Bank so right. that the funds that you raise can go for providing food for people. So, exactly. Vicki? You know, probably the most unique thing for us right now would be an extension ladder. Um, mm-hmm. There have been occasions when we were doing some interior demo at the new site ourselves that we only had a six-foot stepladder. And when you have a 15-foot ceiling, <laughs> you can't do much above 8, 12 feet safely. Um, and at one point, the garage door got stuck open, and it was very comical, Julius and I and a stepladder, trying to get it, it down. Um, but that's something on, on occasions we've needed. When we need to get on the roof where we are and clean out the gutters and those kinds of things, We one of us hauls our, our extension ladder from home, something like that. Um, and actually, a corded drill is another one. We've had cordless drills, and we can't find one that will hold charge long enough to complete a job. The battery just will not hold the charge long enough. So just a good old-fashioned quarter drill. It could be 20 years old. I don't care if it runs. That would be great. The other thing for us that is always and completely versatile um, beyond the financial donations is grocery store gift cards. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it's Kroger, Marsh, Sam's, whatever. Uh, we can use it. You know, we have to buy. We're very intentional about what goes into the, the kids' program meals in particular. So there, we're buying lunch, we, lunch meat. We're buying, you know, bread if we run out um, from what comes from the food bank. We're buying, you know, snack items for those programs. We're buying baby carrots. We're buying fruit, whatever. Those kinds of things are very versatile for us. Uh, when we have a we always serve – at dinner time. we always serve a main entree, a vegetarian entree, a side vegetable, salad, fruit, and desserts and coffee, whatever. If we don't have salad, the staff get really uptight about it. Um, I appreciate having salad, but sometimes we're like, seriously, you're, it's okay. Um, but they will send us to Kroger because it's usually the last minute and that's closest. we got to go buy some salad. So those grocery store gift cards really – that's what we do. We hang on to them until, oh, hey, we need this and we don't have it and the food bank doesn't have any. Then we'll rush out and do it. You know, the food bank is great. So we very rarely have those things. But when we do, those gift cards are very valuable for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's handy. All right. We 
have uh, just about less than 10 minutes to go, and I want to remind you again, you can't call us, but we're talking with Julio Alonzo from the Hoosier Hills Food Bank and Vicki Pierce from the Community Kitchen of Monroe County about uh, food insecurity and hunger issues. Sustainability is such a big deal now, and we're all, as a, as a society, learning so much about what that means and how we get there. And so... Of course, the first thing that comes to mind when you think in terms of sustainability is energy and food. Mm -hmm. So um, what kind of uh, inroads are your organizations making toward becoming more sustainable? Is there anybody growing food specifically for your use? We have some neighborhood folks who are growing some extra food specifically for our use. And one of the things that happens for us in particular is that we have lots of people growing a little bit extra for us, similar to what they do for plant a row for the hungry and mm -hmm. uh, that kind of thing. But we're easily on their route to or from work or whatever. So they drop off their extra six tomatoes or 12 green peppers or whatever for us. Um, we do not currently have space to grow anything. One of the things that we're hoping we can do in the new space is be able to grow some things like onions. Quite honestly, onions are the thing we have to buy the most besides milk. Um, we have to buy them regularly because they don't get donated that regularly, and we use them a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and they've gotten quite expensive. When gas went up a couple of years ago, doubled, onions doubled um, and haven't come all the way back down. So things like that we would really like to be able to do. One of the things that we're doing looking in the new facility energy-wise is making sure that we're doing everything that makes sense um, cost-wise for us to save as much energy as possible. So we're talking about the restroom lights will be on motion sensors. They'll come on when people go in. They'll go off when people go out. Um, we dream of, and I don't know if we will or won't be able to do it, but we dream of a water catchment system. So the toilets and a lot of that's, that water can be used rainwater instead of just um, just you know regular water that we're paying for. Um, you know we're we're going to seal that building up with spray foam insulation. It's a little more expensive, but it's going to save on energy costs over the long haul. And we're going to get that money back, and we're going to be able to use you know, be more energy efficient. So those are the kinds of things we're trying to look at. Um, and just, you know, we, we kind of breathe sustainability in the sense of anything that comes through the door, there's a use for it. What is it? Um, you know, if we don't get 50 cans of a particular food item, it can't be used for dinner. But we've got our Backpack Buddies program where we send weekend food supplies home with kids. We can maybe put that can of food in there, um, you know, or we can figure out another way to use that. And so for us, it's always been making the best use of the resources we have available. And I think in nonprofits, we're probably generally a little better at that than most of the rest of the population out of necessity. Mm -hmm. Julio, plans toward more sustainability? Well, I'd, I'd like to think that uh, that we've been practicing sustainability for a long time just by the, the essence of what we do. I mean, we are out every single day to uh, any grocery store, any restaurant that will have us picking up uh, hundreds of thousands of pounds of food that would otherwise be going into a landfill somewhere. Um, we're, you know, that's what we're all about is reclaiming food that might otherwise be wasted and putting it to good use for, um, for people who are hungry. So I'd like to think we'd, we've followed that model for, uh, for a long time. But we are also moving into to more of a fresh foods initiative with our gleaning program and our garden project. Uh, we, we've established a lot of, of partnerships with local area farms. We'll go out to their farms and with volunteers and glean the excess produce that might have otherwise rotted in their fields or that just, you know, might be maybe blemished and not quite good enough for retail sale or something like that. One of those programs developed into a, a larger partnership with Strangers Hill Organics for a garden program. They actually gave us a half acre of land where, and we're planting our own food and raising our own food uh, organically and volunteers are, are a, a huge part of that. Very cool. Okay, we have uh, in just the last four or five minutes. I want to. I want to. First of all, for people who maybe didn't hear the first part of the program, I do want to go back and and just remind everybody that what both Julio and and Vicky said at the beginning is that the need is very much higher than it's been. It's at uh, an all time high. Um, Vicky's seeing a lot more children. Uh, and seeing a lot more, there are a lot more senior citizens who don't have enough to eat. I want to ask both of you. You work, you've worked in in this uh, area for a long, quite a long time in terms of, of providing things for people who are hungry. Um, what keeps you going? I mean, it would be a just this is kind of a personal question, Julia. <laughs> why why is this an area that you feel passionate about, and, and what keeps you going to work every morning? Well. Uh, 
You know, as, as much as I uh, regret the need for, for my job and the need for the existence of the organization that I, I work for, um, I feel incredibly inf- fortunate to have the, the job that I do, and I, I get a great deal of satisfaction out of it. You know, I, I often say that, that there are really two, two sides to the story uh, in what we do at the Food Bank. One is the incredible level of need that's out there and the reason for our existence. But that's balanced, on the other hand, with the incredible level of generosity of of people in this community. Um, you get to see the good with the bad. Um, we, we couldn't do what we're doing to provide people with food without seeing a lot of very helpful and generous uh, generous people. The financial donors, the food donors, um, we get we really get to see the best of people coming forward to to help us alleviate the suffering of of, of uh, other people in the community, and uh, to me, food is just a, a basic right for people. Uh, th- there is absolutely no excuse for people to go hungry in this in this community in this country. The resources are there to feed everybody, and if I can play a small part in in making that happen for um, for folks that. Uh, that need it, um, uh, you know, I, I consider myself blessed in doing so. Okay. Vicki? And I would ditto all that and say, um, you know, for me, part of why I am in this business and remain in this business is that it's really an expression of faith for me. Um, it's something that I feel very strongly about that I am responsible for the people around me and, and for making their lives better and for helping them in any way that I can. Um, in the day-to-day stuff, I I will say that I agree with Julio, and for me, it's probably there is that tipping point where the generosity probably keeps me going more than the need does. Um, the the excitement that I really have, and this is going to show what a nerd I am, but the, <laughs> the excitement I really have for for taking that generosity and be able being able to funnel and channel and organize things so that programs happen and they happen efficiently and they happen well, and that people in all sectors of that are pleased. Um, and feel satisfied. People who come and eat, get the food they need, they feel satisfied. Volunteers feel like they've they've contributed and they feel good about that. My staff feel like they're well respected and taken care of and they, they care about what they do. And at night I go home and I sleep well. And I wake up in the morning and know that my kids are growing up in a world where that's exactly what you're supposed to do. Of course, Community Kitchen is a place that exists. You know, my kids are not going to grow up and hit their 20s and go, oh, there are things like soup kitchens. Never been to one of those. Um, You know, they're going to grow up with that responsibility. All right. In the last 15 seconds, if somebody wants to help at uh, Hoosier Hills Food Bank, what's the number to call? 334-8374 or hhfoodbank.org. Okay. And Vicki, Community Kitchen? Community Kitchen, 332-0999. RowCommunityKitchen.com. All right. I want to thank Julio Alonzo and Vicki Pierce for Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Dan Goldblatt, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.